nothing could basically stop America. And, and uh, uh, we've faced great problems in the past. We haven't faced this exact problem. In fact, we haven't really faced anything that quite resembles this problem. And, uh, but we faced tougher problems. And the American miracle, the American magic, has always prevailed, and it will do so again. And I would, I would like to take you through a little history. American magic. 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 Welcome to this American Magic Inflected uh, episode of Trash Future, the podcast you're listening to right now. It's me, Riley, recording from sunny London. Wait, you disclosed your location for the first time. I have disclosed. I have disclosed Damn. my location. I also gave myself a pause because I was like, "Well, I've introduced this person. Now, time to give them a pause to say how they're doing." I forgot <laughs> that it was me. Yeah. <laughs> how, are you, how are you doing, Riley? Thank you for fucking asking. Um, <laughs> yeah, I- everyone's always asking where is Riley, and no one ever asks how is Riley. Damn, it's just like Poochie uh, all over again. Uh, it's Alice, Milo, and Hussein have joined me from TF Hakers. Yep. What's up? Mm. American magic, get away from me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and we also have uh, a brace of guests uh, joined, joining us today are, uh, is comedian Pope Lonergan. Comedian, comedian Pope Lonergan, how's it going? Hello, 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 gentlemen. How is everyone? Uh, <laughs> never has the word gentleman been worse used. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like all of us that are men aren't gentle and then <laughs> the one that is gentle is not a man awesome Damn. you're the least oh, gentle Alice. don't even try and come at us <laughs> oh no do you want to like maybe introduce our other guest or should i do that since i married them no i'm doing we're, we're doing some nepotism here i got my husband on because uh for reasons that will become apparent so uh say hello to chris caldwell kelly christopher and hi <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Damn, well, this, this marriage is on the rocks, huh? My Wi-Fi switched to a different Wi-Fi, so I hope you just, Alice, you finished off all of the various introductions as well. My Wi-Fi. Shut the My fuck Wi-Fi. up. Stop doing that. I, yeah, I was, I was wondering. I thought, I thought you were just like, I thought you were just like owning me by making me introduce my own spouse just to punish me for nepotism. We are going to talk a little bit about uh, social care today and the crisis in social care. Uh, with uh, Chris and Pope as we get on to the second half of the episode. But the first half of the episode, we are going to do something of a check-in. We are going to do a check-in with uh, the season three uh, overarching big bad, uh, the big theme, the overarching uh, plot device, which is that... The light motif, if you will. Yes. Which is that we we speak so often of the elements of our our different... of the crises Mm. and the overlapping crises we're experiencing... We're looking at what's happening here or there with this or that social function. And sometimes we lose sight of the overall trajectory of we stepped off the ledge a while ago. And it's very difficult to see an entire catastrophe and get your arms around it when it's unfolding in front of you like this. So it's worthwhile to try to sit back, unhook our eyes, and get the measure of this whole thing. Unhook our eyes? That's right. Allow our eyes to unfocus. You talk to Charlie Stross once, <laughs> and you just immediately go back to, like, eldritch body That's horror. That's right. Um, and we're going to sort of get a bit of a measure of what's going on. A little bit of a vibe check. Um, so mm. we're going we're gonna to start in the UK. The UK is facing the greatest recession since 1709, uh, according to the Bank of England. Yep. Now, 1709 yeah. was a frost-based recession. Uh, it was the coldest winter ever, and agricultural activity was decimated. Um, but at that point, the economy was largely based on people growing stuff and selling what they grew rather than ceaseless, constant activity of sending sort of the same email back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And yeah. now for an interview with Charles Moore, who remembers that recession. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, the internet was in black and white then. <laughs> Very kind of Nosferatu, Charles Moore, though, I have to say. Right. 
And so what's happened is, we have to remember, the activity has all stopped. So the line, the mm. line hasn't kept going. Uh, and no. there are still some partisans of the line uh, who think that it is going to keep going. So the Bank of England uh, has predicts what's called a V-shaped recovery, which is... <laughs> <laughs> An Australian t-shirt of rebound. It's, it's, a, it's a real thing. <laughs> it's a real thing. It's where there is a massive uh, decline and then that's followed by an almost immediate recovery. So it looks like a V. Yeah, sure. So we, we're all going to get not scared of coronavirus anymore. And then we're all going to go out and buy shoes. And we're going to buy so many shoes that we undo all of the harm to the economy that's been caused by us pausing for a couple of weeks to not buy shoes. Correct. Mm. Um, so what, uh, what the, the, you'd see a V-shaped recovery after, say, a flash crash. Um, where there was some outside force caused some uh, bit of panic in the market that changed equity prices such that they went down and then went back up again, or changed GDP such that it paused and went back up again, but there was the fundamentals weren't fund weren't well changed. Uh, however, lumber phenomenon. The uh, the the Bank of England pr- prediction of this rosy recovery is lo- which is a recovery of two hundred billion uh, in GDP over like a one year period is based on their their key assumptions being that like high street banks are going to continue their ordinary lending activities which from our free episode last week with Antonia Jennings we just know they haven't they just haven't done it hmm. yeah and of course people are still going to buy shoes with the money that they have they're still going to want to hmm. and they're still going to be able to and so it's going to be fine. Don't, yeah. don't yes. worry about They're it. They're going to buy shoes because they need to buy shoes to improve the economy so that they can get a job again to pay back the debt that they owe to their landlord. It makes perfect Raphael sense. Raphael Bear? <laughs> all, what, all what's actually happening is that they're looking at like a completely different economy like post-corona. And I actually think they have a good point because even if like stocks and shoes and stuff like don't, the value of those don't go up, there is one market that has not only stayed resilient but is more likely to grow post-corona, and that is the Magic the Gathering secondary market. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, one of and, three <laughs> industries left. It's, it's, it's Patreon, uh, it's OnlyFans, right. and then it's Magic the Gathering resales. Exactly. I mean, like, ima- like, think of how many podcasts have started in the past two months, right? Mm-hmm. Think of, like, how much Patreon money has been exchanged. Think of, like, how many kind of, like, rare booster Magic the Gathering secondary market cards have, like, the value is just, like, massively <laughs> increased. Like, we're not looking at a V-shaped economy here. We're looking at, like, a swoosh-shaped economy. Yeah. I mean, we haven't seen peak Gamer Girl bathwater yet. <laughs> I love that. Like, the phases of the British economy. It's gone through, like, a feudal industrial manufacturing services, and now we're at podcasting. Yeah. Well... Podcasting and egos, mm. yeah. Um, but you know, just just in case you were worried, uh, we are reopening the garden centres. <laughs> yeah, and of course, we've also had the extremely fucked vibes of VE Day, where like we've had people dress up as planes, we've had people uh, like like costume up their mobility scooters as tanks, mm. oh socially distanced conga. Yeah. The socially distanced conga line. It's it's been it's been a tremendously normal time so in our I, national society. I'm extremely here for elderly kill dozer, like assisted suicide dozer. <laughs> <laughs> what we're really seeing here is just morbid symptom after morbid symptom after morbid symptom, as uh you know the um the things that are the things that are are keeping people say bound together as as a society is supposed to even while it collapses are also the things that are actively killing them uh Mm. so this is Mm. basically it's as though we have a band-aid but instead of an adhesive it is covered in sulfuric acid uh which is fantastic um, Listen, if you can't have VE yeah. Day conga line while dressed as Lancaster Bomber in middle of <laughs> pandemic, then what is even the point of living in free country? <laughs> uh, you know, this is it is it is the spreading of the logic of the ship doing donuts in the Thames uh, to more and hmm. more corners of the national psyche. As I think there is a widespread bit of denial that uh, we actually are living in something of an end time. But not the end time. We are coming back into an, a, a world that is going to be fundamentally changed with people who are fundamentally incapable of reacting to that change steering it. And uh, people who are fundamentally incapable of, um, 
of understanding where we need to go, uh, <laughs> acting in opposition. A lot of people have been absolutely terrified for good reason and traumatized, and also everyone in Britain over the age of 35 has an undiagnosed latent prion disease. So all of that's just sort of coming home to roost at once. And so you get these perverse kind of displays of, of nationalism where we all like get together shoulder to shoulder, sing uh, We'll Meet Again and all infect each other. Um, it's great. No, we love it. Um, it was, it's back to the thing we talked about with Patrick Wyman. It's our death cults are less interesting than the Roman ones. Yeah. There's much less um, flogging. Yeah. We'll meet so, again on the ICU ward. So we are, uh, we are also the, we have the... Labour in the UK, not Labour Party, but the Labour Force, has been described as addicted to the furlough scheme, where the government replaces 80% of the wages that your employer would pay you, so long as your employer doesn't fire you. And Matt Hancock has said that workers will need to be, quote, weaned off of government money, lest they essentially become dependent on it and stop being motivated to go to work where they will probably die. Yeah, I need some real help with my paying rent addiction. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Might I, as well I, face it, you're addicted to Wade. <laughs> yeah. It's just like an absurd, like, imagine, I don't know, like, being addicted to having less money. Mm. It's such an absurd notion, but, like, I can't even come up with a bit for it. But it's basically just, like, it's basically masquerading and doing the whole, I mean, the only thing that I kind of think about now is, like, does this make Rishi Sunak more or less hot? <laughs> <laughs> does it make Matt Hancock more or less adorable to use as, a like, a, a fictionalized character on our podcast? Uh, that I'm still dealing. I'm still dealing with, but there is there's a little bit of economics to talk about here, right? Which is that both, which is that the furlough scheme and the small business lending scheme basically exist to do the same thing. They exist to take money that is created by the Bank of England and put it into the hands of people who make purchases, uh, the the the, work, the the workers essentially, uh, and because the, one of the most important things that businesses purchase with that borrowed money is uh, labor as well as, you know, premises and parts and stuff. So that, that money is it, it designed in both cases to go to the, the people who need to spend it. But there is this, um, again, there is a, a, a ideological opposition to actually distributing that money to people who need it properly and, and try, which, through the furlough scheme, which is just hits more or less everyone who needs it, um, and instead electing to do the same thing, to take the same action, which is to distribute government money to people, but allowing it to proceed through the intermediary of banks and employers uh, who get to like take what they want first as their profit. And again, as we know from what Antonia was saying last week, they're not lending it and they're not paying it. So not only is it causing massive human suffering, but from a demand management view, it's shifting, shutting off a channel of money in people's pockets when we're dealing with an acute demand crisis anyway. Like this is where the world of automation was leading us. It's already accelerating existing tendencies. So you remember the McDonald's automatic ordering terminals. When a recession happens, companies replace employer employees with capital, so in the form of machines, and then those jobs never come back. So all all we're essentially doing is accelerating this tendency to just nobody has a job in general the fully immiserated uh rationed um mm. po- uh, impoverished uh uh, uh exterminism if, if you want a vision of the future just imagine two mcdonald's terminals serving each other mcflurries forever i love this shit it drives me absolutely insane like the whole yeah the whole like you're addicted to the furlough scheme thing it's like well what the fuck else are people supposed to do they say they're going to reduce it to encourage people back to work what fucking job rishi have you noticed what the fuck is going on you stupid cunt like, you can't exactly, like, say, oh, well, just go and get a job, like, while staying in your house. A job that doesn't exist because everyone else is staying in the house. OnlyFans. You've got to get an OnlyFans. Rishi Sunak is a huge supporter of sex workers, I guess, by default. Maybe there is, like, an OnlyFans lobby that is, like, um, that is lobbying <laughs> the British government and that we're not going to find this out. <laughs> it's even that. Yeah. It's either that or Rishi Sunak is kind of like way ahead of the rest of us and is basically saying that like, not only do you need to get jobs, but we all need to prop up the magic secondary market. So you better go out and go buy some booster packs right now. He just really wants everyone in Britain to have a Twitch stream. The only fans lobby is where you verbally abuse the other people watching the cam go. Um, <laughs> Having a heated cam One of the reasons that the moment. UK has not had like quite so many um, de- demolished charts is is the government furlough scheme that people are being 
are being uh, kept on and kept like from you know starving because they're we understand we are, at least have some level of understanding that that we society might need fewer people in order to like operate the machines because many of the machines have been automated but we still need people with money buying stuff even not even from a uh, not even from a, a a a humanitarian perspective but simply from a people need money to buy things so capital can continue accruing returns perspective. Um, and by the way, here's a worker quoted in The Guardian who Hancock wants to, quote, wean off the package. Uh, this 26-year-old sales rep and his partner have already begun to sell their belongings, from PS4 games to the MacBook that he uses for work. I'm absolutely not addicted to having crippling anxiety about having been paid enough to pay rent or bills, having not been paid enough to pay rent or bills, or waking up in the middle of the night panicking. There's nothing addictive about being frightened of having your things taken away when you've worked for everything. Yeah, but I mean, what if you made a bunch of like Lancaster bomber parts out of foam and then like stuck them together and like threw them over your shoulders and paraded through the town center? Yeah, it's it's wouldn't it have is, anxiety then, would you? It's it's the reconceptualization of the entire economy as a soft play area that's slowly killing everyone in it. <laughs> Um, and like this is this is what it feels like when you've stepped off the ledge and you're getting to terminal velocity. You feel like you've stopped moving. Mm. Yeah, but we haven't. All we have just we now are at, we are mm. off the ledge. We're at terminal velocity. Things are going faster and faster and faster. And the blood from your brain is beginning to drain out, and you're having hallucinations of spinning boats, guys dressed as bombers <laughs> in conga lines, and all kinds of and fun little celebrations. And <laughs> as, as your as the your sheer force of gravity and inertia and the g forces just pull all the blood from your brain to your feet. Now, in the U.S., the stock market will not stop rallying. The unemployment rate sits at around twenty percent, worse than the Great. Worse than the Great Depression, and businesses are going bust and taking on wild debts, and there's going to be a default wave in the next two months. And the Nasdaq and S and P have added 250 points following the report of the worst unemployment yeah, since the Great Depression. What if you invested in unemployment? Then it's a good week for you. <laughs> I mean, that that guy with the like uh, Dow 30,000 hat, who then brought out the Dow 20,000 hat when it went down, he's going to keep switching hats back and forth. <laughs> He's just gonna mm. he's gonna like catch the wave each time up and down. He's just gonna be taking on and putting off that hat so forever. He, yeah. He's getting value out of those hats. Yeah, if, if you want a vision of yeah. the, a full vision of the economy, the uh, the real economy of, of traded goods and services is is essentially um a, 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 a McDonald's automatic ordering machines and smart bins passing the same uh, McFlurry back and forth for you know eternity, and then the stock market is just a guy changing out hats. Based on um, the random sort of insane bullish and bearishness, hmm. um, yeah, looking good. Yeah, feeling and, good about this. In 1709, just putting on a different <laughs> tricorn with a different number of guineas written on it. <laughs> and the thing is, right, that the this is not just some some random uptick. This is a 29 percent rally in the S and P 500 since March 23rd, and hmm. there has been literally nothing in the real economy. To say yeah. that it's because the line is divorced from reality now, because the line has stopped. But like, obviously, no one has come and like shut down the stock exchange and smashed all of the Bloomberg terminals with hammers. So the line oh. still has to do something. The line, the line is literally divorced. It's going through that period immediately oh, after divorcing us. its wife, where <laughs> it's a, it's bought like a house it can't afford and like a jet ski and stuff, and like all the kids are like, "Wow, dad's having a really cool time," but it's like just teetering on the edge of destruction. <laughs> he has a new girlfriend called like uh, Crystal, who's like forty years younger than him. Uh, yeah, this is this is our synthesis: is line go divorced? <laughs> well, in fact, it has been mm. remarked that the equity value are no longer reflective of the society that they're uh, that underlies them. So like no, well they never were, but especially not now. The the break is now made and it's complete and it's not coming back. Yeah. The number doesn't go to anything anymore. No, it's just the num the number is now just a reflection of the vibe of the like small number of people like that own any guys. of it. Yeah. It's yeah. how are those 50 guys feeling? Um, and previously, it was like the vibe of maybe like I don't know five thousand guys. Yeah. Now it's just the fifty guys. Yeah. And 
5,000 guys was what five guys was called before automation. <laughs> Look, I, I, I don't think the stock market is going to stop, right? I think it's going to continue until it's reflecting a game of pinochle in a corner going, of a I bunker under New Zealand. It's going to continue right? going on. It's going to just going to become more of a religious right than, uh, than much of anything else. And the, the mm. Pope hat is, it says, Dow 100,000. Um, but the the thing is, right? Like this is based on part of this is based on investor assumptions that well, actually, the economy can kind of work without anyone really going to many of the jobs. Um, yeah, paging Mister Graber, the, Mr. the David idea being Graber that we can provide for the most of the needs of people, with, or most of the needs of people, kind of thus far, on like riding on the fumes of the savings people had, the credit they were able to get, and just quite simply the belief that many of them are expendable. Um, they, that society is able to continue coasting on that um, when in, in, in reality, even if you can continue for providing over all those needs at that residualized level with maybe what 50% of your workforce, 20% of them unemployed, the other 30% doing jobs that you're just like at spreadsheet factories. Um, like, wh who's going to buy the stuff? Who's going to have money to buy the stuff? No one's going to buy the stuff. H how does this keep going? I don't see it. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't. It just shrinks. It just shrinks until the Dow or the Nasdaq reflect. Uh, you know what two guys think about which raindrop is going to hit the windowsill mm. first. All will end up happening is like what happens with phones, right? Which is like you don't just buy the stuff; you like rent it. So like the provisions of like being able to like rent very basic things just extends, and then like economic activity comes from like this process of cyclical renting of like basic necessities. Yeah. I, yeah. Put down uh, the lathe, Hussein. <laughs> I, I mean, Hussein, I think you've kind of got it. I, you're just re reaching for a pistol right now. We, uh, I'm sorry, man. It's been nice podcasting with you, but we can't trust you with this power anymore. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's so I, the consumer economy, like the Bank of England and and Wall Street. The reason that they have these this bullish outlook is because they assume it's going to come back. It's. Mm. It's gone, and it's not. It, it's just it. Uh, Alice, play the rig. Yeah, there, there are two. <laughs> this, there are two visions. Oh fuck! Hold on. This, this yeah. Uh, <laughs> I still have American magic queued up. Here's the rake. It's time for the rake jump. There you go. Yeah. That's that is the Bank of England and Wall Street. It's right there. They're just jumping on a rake because they assume they'll keep going up and won't land on the rake. Yeah, well, there's two, there's two competing visions here. There's mine, which is that as Americans and British people become more unemployed, and as the line continues to get weirder, we uh, enter what I saw one tweet call when capital letters the cool zone, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where where some things might happen. Or there's Hussein's answer, which is that we just end up having to like rent our clothes. Mm. You can um, you can actually rent your clothes now. There is a service where like you basically get like a month's worth of clothes via subscription and then you send it back and they send you like a new box. And like the idea is that you're supposed to, you know, that you'll kind of keep up with like the hype beast trends, which again is probably going to be like the backbone Listener. of the, like the new Rishi Sunak hot guy economy. Mm. Listener, if you, if you, if you have to do parody redacted, because I will not be wrong about this one. <laughs> I won't accept it. <laughs> 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 cut smash cut to six months time Alice sitting in a gigantic rented supreme hoodie like oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, here is an artist's impression of me right now it's time for the rake job <laughs> and the thing is right the, the assumption all, all Warren Buffett had was well I assume some magic will happen and, and that will solve it <laughs> yeah, don't worry American Earth magic's magic. coming American magic. American magic. American magic is coming to the rescue. American magic. American magic. Riley, you got increasingly Trump there. Right? American magic, folks. <laughs> folks, we're going to have magic. American magic. The Mexicans, the Mexicans, they think they have magic. They don't, folks. They don't I have it. I ask you this, Milo. What's the difference between the sort of the statement that Donald Trump's statements of American exceptionalism, confidence that the virus will resolve itself without a vaccine, and then Warren Buffett, the sort of liberal darling of the quote-unquote good billionaire, this founder of the Good Giving Pledge, looking at the collapse of the consumer economy at a conceptual level and hand-waving away and saying, well, I, I, I assume American magic American is coming. Magic. 
What's the difference? Well, the difference is that uh, is that you know they go to parties at Warren Buffett's house. <laughs> the difference, yeah, is that yeah. Warren mm. Buffett went to some like Warren Buffett didn't like go to didn't go to like 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 was a friend of Jeffrey Epstein. Like I don't know what's I don't know what the difference is. Yeah. The difference is one of them makes you feel better uh, if you're like a normal person, and the other is that one makes you feel better if you're like a, a yeah, jet ski dealership right. psychopath. Mm. It's vibes, entirely vibes-based economy. We work was ahead of its time with that's the, right. the community, community adjusted, adjusted GDP mm. at this point is what we should be looking at because that's all there is left. Fuck, fuck. Yeah, that's yeah. The, that's also our episode yeah. title that's is it. the community adjusted oh, GDP. Hell yeah, We're d- adjusting the GDP based on how many union jacks yeah. there are on each street. I, I mean, at, at <laughs> this point, what what else is the? I'm not saying that like anyone has come. Has there's no government conspiracy? There's no dumb coming saying yes. We're going to distract people from the fact that the the economy in general is imploding. No, that only exists yeah. within the BBC. They organize they organize that one autonomously, <laughs> oh, which is the funniest honestly, shit. Honestly, this to country me. was beyond repair the the minute we accepted that there's a guy in public life called Dom Cummings. I mean, like that was that was really when the <laughs> matrix broke, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So you know. We are, are uh, I, I'm going to take it back round. Our review of uh, season three is uh, we were right. Uh, we uh, continue to be right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we said that yeah. the model of that the consumer capitalist model is dying doesn't mean that capitalism, labor exploitation and so on are going away. As Nate, I think Nate had a Nate no, had a very still could just hint, hint. You could do that. Good, if you wanted a very good summary of it, which is that things are going to get more residualized, more futile, uh, more limited. The idea of unlimited growth is, I think, gone. Um, where we have to deal with mass scarcity without the sort of fig leaf of uh, mass potential abundance one month in the future. Yeah, except it was sicker uh, than he imagined because we still have the growth. It's just it's just on the line. We have taken the map and replaced the territory with it. So like there will still be boundless growth in the in the stock market. You just won't be able yeah. to get food. Fuck it, Dow a million. Who gives yeah. a shit? Yeah, D- D- Dow yeah. three hundred trillion. Uh, yeah, these these lines are no longer meaningful. No. Uh, we they are still effectively youth. You they have effectively stopped not because they've stopped moving, but because they've stopped reflecting anything. They've stopped being useful to anyone who wants to take a critical view of what's going on. They are essentially superfluous. You might as well look at a you might as well look at a fucking spirograph. Um, mm. yeah. I mean, we basically yeah. managed to like collapse the U.S. dollar enough to make it the ruble, and then the Dow does become Dow one trillion. <laughs> um, so uh yes uh in in this so in the spirit of being uh you know very pleased at being right um well no not pleased at being right i'm fucking miserable that we're right yeah i'm pleased at being right no i'm pleased i'm pleased i i want to be right about the next thing also um i will be miserable if a saint is right Uh, about the next thing let's uh let's let's shift from the hopelessness of the uh macro picture uh let's talk about some particularities Hmm. Um, because, and again, it almost feels strange to be talking about, about social care in the context of total, uh, total hopelessness of, of season three, but it is one of these, it is one of these professions that is mitigating the hopelessness. And we are very pleased to be, mm. we are very pleased Field to hospitals. be joined by, uh, by Chris and Pope, who are in fact social workers, uh, Chris with the young and pope with the old who can tell us a little bit about it so i'm to you two i'm going to read a headline from the guardian social care crisis risks two-tier blow to the poor minister is warned now this is a headline from like january so <laughs> um the social care crisis is not the covid crisis instead they are part of the same thing so can you tell us a little bit uh this is to pope and chris about what these, what we mean by social care crisis. Um, okay, so I'll stop with the uh, children, family, and young person sector, which is the one I work in. Um, in Scotland in particular, there's been a real kind of weird move from old models, which didn't particularly work very well for homeless youth, to new models where they haven't set up anything to implement them yet. Um, housing first, which is I think is fantastic, but they don't have the housing stock. And um, 
there's been a big move towards closing larger homeless facilities. The problem with that is, is yeah. Clo- closing St. Jimmy Savile's institution the way have really teens. done a great job of identifying new solutions. Um, I was in a large facility which um, downsized by probably two-thirds um, and this was right before the crisis hit and there's no beds for anyone because they've been closing all of the hotels which the council has been using as a uh, kind of temporary stopgap measure while they're waiting for housing. So one of the crises is, is that there just really isn't the resources for whatever they want to do, and that's really been exacerbated by, well, uh, current pandemic, where all of the kind of stopgap measures they put in just won't work anymore. Um, and I know there's tons of crises with um, elderly people, but I think Pope would probably be better to speak on that. Um, yeah, no, I worked in elderly care for eight and a half years, and uh, the the social care uh, crisis is something that preceded uh, uh, coronavirus for a long. I mean, in them eight and a half years I was there, everything was going to shit anyway all the time, constantly. And what you uh, uh, have is that there was become this. I work for a company. I don't know if I can name. Uh, can I name and shame the company? Or yeah, yeah go mate. For it. Okay, uh, I work for a company called Romwood Homes, and they in 2017 apparently they made a, a pre-tax profit of 16.9 million um the directors were uh, paid 4.4 million and the highest paid uh, gordon the head of the company receiving 2.2 million and now they've got a dividends of uh, 5.1 million and that was in 2017 and that was the same year uh, that he the gordon was sending out memos to each of the care homes pleading poverty tried to cut back on little trivial things like peanut butter uh, it seems trivial, but for these people, these residents who are in these care homes, it's something that makes their day a bit, a bit bright and something they look forward to. And like, as I'm like a rabble rouser, so as a result of this, I tried to uh, initiate a coup d'état uh, with people with dementia to to reinstate <laughs> peanut butter because I couldn't stand this kind of deprivation. But then also, he was he was <laughs> saying about turning off um, electricity, uh, turning off heating, even in the winter months. To, to 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 save money and when these private companies are, are profiteering from uh, uh, social care they're always prioritizing the, the the bottom line over the welfare of the residents i said and another problem that you've got is that cqc the regulatory body who comes in they uh, they don't do unannounced visits so they always announce when they're coming in. So, um, uh, so when when they announce that they're coming in, there'll be a lot of cosmetic maintenance on the residents, um, depriving them of their personal agency because some of these residents might not want to shave that day, or they they you know they might not want to wear this item of clothing, or they might not want to dress up. They just want to kind of relax and chill out. Into the latex granite. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. the inspector likes. <laughs> Flush a bit of tit, love. Come on. We're, we want to get an excellent grade here today, Vera. Um, but yeah, yeah. And, and then the elders, because of these, like this cosmetic maintenance, they just become an advertisement for the quality of service within the care homes, just so that the, uh, the, the, the company can sort of save face, that they can maintain their excellent grading and that they can continue uh, generating uh, revenue for themselves. And uh, I think one of the things that I spoke about was the, national, uh, the idea of a national care service and for it to be taken out of private, uh, private companies and a, a sort of a, like a national health service, but a national care service formed uh, so it's got like a public entity that 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 supports um, the elders and elderly care and uh, any kind of care of people who suffer from dementia and neurodegenerative diseases and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all for that. I'm 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 all for it because I I, I saw what uh, uh, worrying about you know revenue streams and stuff. I saw what it did to these care homes. And another thing. That I, I'm not. I don't really understand how the care home providers themselves has kind of escaped scrutiny in this moment. 
and it's all been the sort of uh, uh, it's all been focused on on the government. Obviously, the government's been uh, terribly incompetent, and 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 loads of stuff have been mismanaged on their behalf. But these care providers, so Professor Martin Green of Care England, who represents these care home providers, he uh, made a statement where he was talking. I see if I've got the statement here. He said. Um, Yeah, Care England's Green said the recommendations for expanding capacity and staff levels were not discussed with providers following the 2017 report. Uh, That's the, uh, is it uh, Operation Signet or whatever it's called? Uh, Nobody has ever had that conversation with us, he said. Care England has been talking about uh, providing extra capacity for years. We have been telling them that we we have capacity and people don't need to be in hospital. but. Uh, we have got nowhere. Now, he focuses on extra capacity, which will make more money for the care providers without mentioning the need for extra staff to accommodate the expansion, which will be less money for the care providers. And a lot of these places have been severely understaffed for years. And, um, and yeah, like I said, because the CQC doesn't operate under a mystery shopper approach, uh, the dangerous uh, staffing deficit is whitewashed in, in anticipation of their arrival. But for the rest of the year, we're just told to make do. And yeah, so I, I wanted to actually, I want to talk a little bit about making do yeah. and how people in caring professions are frequently asked to make up shortfalls in the provision of the actual resources or staff or whatever to accomplish what their job is. So the example here, of course, is. Uh, teachers buying uh, school supplies for their students and so on. And the rationale behind this seems to be that, well, uh, you get the emotional and moral fulfillment of... um, You get the emotional and moral fulfillment of of, of caring for someone, of not having to do a soul-deadening finance job. So, of course, you shouldn't be well paid for it, A. But B, you should also, like, cover a few of the costs yourself, because what is a care job if not a kind of vacation? (laughs) I mean, that is, yeah, I, I know exactly the kind of mindset you're talking about. I mean, look, I've, I've been on shifts where, you know, you, you're, you're, you're enmeshed in these people's life. You become an extension of the family. I love it. It's very rewarding. But there are certain points where you have to clean them and you're basically wearing their, their hemorrhoid as a cufflink. And that doesn't sound, <laughs> doesn't sound like much of a vacation to me. Uh, but you do. The- it is a statement piece, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> But you, um, but yeah, they, they 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 take advantage of our compassionate nature, and so much of my income from these jobs, I would would then go back out to uh, buying stuff and providing stuff to the residents, whether it's uh, uh, like sweets or or like a coloring uh, pencils or even clothing. If they're residents who have come in um, uh, with with social workers and haven't got family, I would buy them new clothing. I'd buy them. Uh, better quality razors i would uh, you know all this kind of stuff and so many carers were doing this were filling the the holes in resources from their own paycheck which was meager the pay you know we were getting uh, uh, seven pound 20 an hour now I, I, I for a long time it was even under the, the the minimum the national minimum wage and then they had to rectify that because we uh, uh sort of collectively put pressure on them for that Sounds like you're addicted to earning a wage, yeah, Pope. I know, I know. I got, yeah. I, Based on what you're saying, Pope, right? I want to, I want to, because I love bringing things together. I love, I love summings up, even in progress, where we can see another, another sort of conceptual decoupling happening here, right? Where if we go back to our marks, we, t- we look at the, the composition of capital, of organic capital, which is people doing stuff and, and, and um, inorganic capital, which is machines and so forth. The deal of capitalism has always been that your prov- that your the capitalist provides the um, the uh, uh, inorganic capital, and then the, lab- the 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 labor force provides the organic capital. And and what we're si- you don't have to bring your steam loom ex- from except home. in the case of the caring professions. There has been a decoupling of the work that goes on in schools and care homes and so on from that particular deal that the private sector is supposed to be good at making. You're providing your own inorganic capital as well because the people running the show have realized they can just make you do that. 
It's so true, and it, that is so so true. And I would always, I was a proper rab, rabble rouser in there, and I wouldn't blindly follow the the directives passed down from the sort of the upper tiers of of management and stuff like that. I would always question it. And I said, like one detail, like, I've I've got asked by a bit a big publishing house to write a proposal, a book proposal of a funny book about elderly care. And one of the little details were, that they said was like really evocative was this idea of carers horse trading incontinence pads. And because there was a, a severe shortage of incontinence pads, that that would become commodified within the home. Where like, I'll trade you like three of the uh, the, the uh, lower absorbent pads for a big absorbent pad because we've got. A big shitter over here and it would be the, and, and, and these are all the things that the companies are supposed to be providing that they are just not they are absolutely totally failing in, in that regard they are not providing the, the these resources um and that's why we're, we're we're constantly running around trying to trying to uh you know uh, forage incontinence pads I mean, and that's madness. And these poor people shouldn't have to be sitting in, in you know, in their own, in their own uh, 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 fluvia. I'm going to use that word because I've used it before. <laughs> Milo enjoyed it. Um, effluent. <laughs> uh, um, because, you said you weren't going to talk about that night. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they shouldn't be shit. They shouldn't be sitting in their own shit. Um, just because there isn't enough incontinence pads to go around, and and they are they they taking advantage of that because they are just relying on uh, the, the the carer's natural compassion to to fill those those gaps, and also the severe dangerous lack of staffing is such a major problem. And I've been on shifts where there was three carers to forty residents with complex needs. Uh, where most of them need uh, help with mobility, where a lot of them need help and assistance with feeding, where they all need help with food service, where they about 90% of them need help of getting taken to the toilet. And if you imagine just one person who requires a hoist, uh, it taking about I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour to take to the toilet, and then there's 40 of them with free staff, how is that possible? Uh, well, How fact, is that possible? On on the subject of staffing, actually, uh, I would like to I'd like to I'd like to focus on that of how we are able to get people to come in to this job that require that requires you to that takes advantage of your compassion essentially, um, and pays you very poorly and makes you buy quite a few of your own bits of equipment. But I want to sw- I want to ask Chris now, what has happened to recruitment in uh, the not just the prevailing social care crisis, but this acute coronavirus crisis well, as well. Recruitment's always been a particular problem for us. Um, uh, the group of people that I work with in particular is challenging. I can't tell you how many times I've been bitten, threatened, yelled at. It's just part of the job. They're young people who don't trust anybody. That's just living with Alice. <laughs> she only bites on Tuesdays. Um, on. But anyway... <laughs> Um, so (laughs) on top of the normal recruitment things, of course, there has to be all sorts of checks. There's got to be background checks. There's got to be police checks. You don't want to get in anybody in with a history of abusing people to work with people who've already been abused. So recruitment is normally slow. The wages are absolutely dreadful. Like they're a joke. Uh, they boast about being a living, uh, wage employer, which they are, but it isn't really a living wage. Um, and so before uh, you would say interview, I don't know, 15 desperate people who haven't been able to find a job anywhere because the economy in Glasgow is dreadful and still six, seven of them would walk away from it because they could find something that wasn't quite as terribly paying. Um, yeah, you don't get bitten as often in a call center. Oh, you get threatened about the same, though. <laughs> Wouldn't be so sure about that. And so, but and so one of the things that I was I was hearing about was they were looking in order to fill this staffing gap. They were instead of instead of doing something where where they could say, "Well, look, let's improve the pay, let's improve the conditions, let's improve the prestige." Which, by the way, that's what Finland did with teachers. Like that's they they made it a well paid um, and therefore prestigious and re- highly respected career. And now Finland's doing amazingly in education. Um, but 
I they have not they have taken a yes. different road. If that's the high road of filling a uh, let's say a publicly required caring occupation, we have taken the low road. We've got a regu- we've got a couple of regulatory bodies. Um, they're different than the ones in England. We've got the Care Inspectorate, which acts like the Care Quality Commission, and we've also got uh, the Triple SC, which covers all social care, uh, which is the Scottish Social Care Commission or something. Um, I should probably know this. But uh, what the Triple SC has done at the start of the crisis was basically sending out an email saying that all of the normal checks that we have to do to make sure that you're not getting in abusers and Jimmy Savile types. Um, could be suspended. And then, uh, so to get people in earlier that rather than doing the normal checks, you can just go ahead with your recruitment thing, hire them, do the recruitment checks once they're in the job. And then if we find out, let's say you've hired a child molester to work with seven-year-olds, well, then they would be fired. So that's absolutely terrifying. And... I love to play pedo roulette, yeah. or as we call it in Britain, <laughs> British roulette. <laughs> I mean, just uh, absolute nonsense. Uh, is absolutely staid and boring and like um, completely difficult to work with. And this has actually worked in our favor because they have just ignored the Triple SC's guidance about getting people in and have taken even longer than normal. So. While our recruitment levels are even worse than they were before, <laughs> at least I'm not having to like watch uh, the new guy like a hawk to make sure that he's not going to take little Jimmy into the bathroom. We don't do personal care, so there's no reason for that. <laughs> it's it's everyone everyone is everyone is cops and border guards now. We're out, if your if your your landlord and letting agent letting agent are <laughs> your are your border guard, uh, social care workers now have to. Uh, be on the lookout for like child safeguarding, which is, I guess, good because most of the people who would be wanting to hurt children seem to have an incentive to join a version of social care that has no background checks. Uh, just, just dreadful shit. But that's what you just, you just know. There's a startup genius watching this now, being like, "Well, we can save the government a hundred percent of the money if we just get volunteer <laughs> pedos for the social care, and then we get volunteer coprophiliacs for the old people's homes." <laughs> Well, I mean, one yeah. thing Britain does still have an abundance is paedophiles, right? So it makes sense as a stopgap. You just you tap that dangerous. untapped resource, <laughs> risking their lives. They're doing God's work. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the Epstein uh, home no. for wayward girls. I'll tell you. The truth. <laughs> it, it, it is. It is essentially the choice, right? Where when you are in crisis. And two and two irreconcilable um, and irreconcilably different forces come together, which is the force of we need to make a profit by paying care workers less because we accept that this industry must be privatized, um, and the incredibly high requirements that um, of social care in an aging a population that's facing a fucking pandemic um, that that something has to give. And either it has to, the job has to be made better, or the quality of, or the threshold for applicant quality has to go so low that we're no longer saying, if you want to work with children, we're going to make sure you're not a pedophile. <laughs> There's also the redeployment, which uh, I, I don't know, Chris, maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Well, that hasn't actually happened, but another thing that, that uh, our regulatory body came up with was uh, the idea of if in some services are running low um, in staff to the level where it's unsafe, which in my opinion is the normal state of things, um, that they could just redeploy you to another service where um, you don't know anybody and don't know any of the rules and probably are going to be exposed to a deadly infection because, well, we're not getting... Uh, sufficient PPE to deal with uh, things like personal care and ventilation, things that uh, some of the elderly care social services have been doing on a regular basis. Um, so that was also a kind of terrifying announcement. And it's really weird to expect that somebody who, for instance, works with uh, young people who slam the door in your face would necessarily be suited to work with um, a woman with dementia without any additional training. A real kick in the teeth for the pedos who signed up as well. 
<laughs> yeah, you, you sign up for some easy pedophilia, and instead you just find yourself on the ward. <laughs> this is the last thing I wanted to happen. <laughs> this is the complete opposite of what I was hoping for. Yeah, I, this is. The, I, I take it back. I take back every criticism we've made of the government and the social care sector. This is ingenious. We've used a massive resource, British pedophiles, and trapped them like flypaper into making them wipe so us. Essentially, essentially, what we've done is through a kind of gigantic reimagining of the entire caring labor force of the United Kingdom as a kind of liquid that can slosh around the country wherever it's needed. We've applied the <laughs> principles of CrossFit, I guess, of... Um, yeah, we're doing muscle yeah, we're doing confusion. muscle confusion to the entire social care workforce. Penis confusion. <laughs> you, you are someone who, who works with the elderly. You wake up the next day, congratulations, it's time to teach school. Uh, you're a school teacher, hope you like wiping asses. It's just, it is, a, because we've just assumed that these jobs are completely interchangeable because someone who did not understand any of this work at all came in and reimagined it in such a way and again, we could keep rely. We could just shift people around, and we could rely on their caring instincts to just stretch thinner and thinner and thinner and paper over an increasingly what cracks in the system that are becoming canyons. Well, I, I think I think there's also <laughs> a real strain of misogyny in this, and that a lot of. Uh, the social care workers, particularly in my sp sector, are overwhelmingly women, and the skills that they utilize are soft skills. They're getting people to agree with you when they don't want to. They're getting people to kind of uh, learn personal hygiene. They're getting uh, to talk to shut-in and elderly people who uh, may be confused. And because that's not, you know, engineering or making a box, they're really devalued. And it's something that has been done in the home for free, so it's also devalued. So they just don't put in the stock into it that, like, these are difficult skills. These jobs are challenging, but they don't treat them like that. They think anybody off the street can do them, and they think they're all interchangeable, and they're not. Yeah, that's and so many uh, people have the misconception that when they come into the job, that it's all tea and sympathy, and just like sitting down and having a little chat and do it, and and they don't realise the 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 heavy labour that goes into it. But because is, I think it's because it's like an, an invisible labour because uh, it, it's the type of productivity where there's no sort of raw materials and then there's no transformation uh, into a useful object like there would be with, with mechanics or stuff like that. It's just the, the, the maintenance and the preservation of a human life. And it's madness that I have yes. to say, it's only that. It's only that. It's only the, the, the like I, I'll give you a for instance. So I work as a comedian and in, uh, uh, in Edinburgh, I was part of a, a comedian called Phil Ellis's show. And I had to come out dressed as a shit clown, pretend to suck off a trombone, get shot dead. I got shot dead, and then Phil would call me a podgy slut. Now I got paid ten pound <laughs> an hour to to do that job, and that was like two pound uh, eighty or two pound sixty more than I got for helping to continue uh, an elderly person's life and helping to provide the process was very similar <laughs> it was yeah yeah but yeah like how yeah and helping <laughs> to provide like holistic benefits to them as well because that's another thing that um that that people don't need because it's not uh immediate um medical uh media medical um provisions that you'll provide i mean you do a bit of that as well in in uh in conjunction with the visiting district nurses, but because it's like a holistic benefit and it seems a bit nebulous, like, oh, making an elderly person feel safe and happy, then I don't really know how to, you know, I don't really know how to uh, put a value on that. And that's, yeah, that, that, yeah, that just, yeah, pisses me off. Well, it's interesting that you raise that actually, because I think that's one of those things that like permeates the entirety of our society now as part of this kind of like logic of austerity thing. Like how there are all these just like your dad type people getting really annoyed about people buying Easter eggs at the supermarket because it's not essential. And it's like, why do people have to be miserable just because it's a lockdown? Why are you so <laughs> desperate for everyone to be miserable? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't wait for the lockdown to do that. Allow I mean, Easter been... eggs. 
Yeah. <laughs> the growth of like spite as like the dominant vibe in British public life is like, I don't know, probably the most important story mm. of the and last I think 10, a lot of the assumptions, years. especially in the commentariat, is that, that the birth of spite as the main driver of British politics emerged when Gordon Brown called Gillian Duffy a bigoted woman. You know, um, I think that's probably not right. I think it's actually mm. the logic of... It's, it's austerity. Yeah, that's... Well, I think there's... It's like... The, the kind of the, the 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 aggrieved nature of a lot of these people it, it can be like I don't think we had anything as dramatic as a psychic wound as the election of Barack Obama for the British boomer mm. but like it's something like that it was when Sandra collectively took all of our kids yeah yeah it, it was when it was it was sometime when Sandra took all of our kids and you were reading a thing in the mail about the EU and you just thought well fuck everything and you just let that animate you for the next 15 years I sort of feel like the point of chaos came when the like bin cat lady happened oh yeah <laughs> I, feel, I, feel, I feel like that yeah. broke everyone's brains and any sort of sense of like notion of like a, coll- a good collective society and stuff that just all went out of the window because it just physically broke the country in a way that like i feel deserves much more anthropology <laughs> than it has well, kind of warranted dark susan so boyle <laughs> chaotic evil susan boyle <laughs> i think the, there is the, you have to understand spite if you want to understand why the social care industry the whole social care market if you like has been turned into a market and then basically been forced to fail it is because there is there is resentment on the part of people there is resentment for people who are doing care uh by people who feel guilty because they don't uh and then there is resentment that there is a public service that someone else is getting cared for the idea that i might be paying for it uh, but I expect, of course, that I will be I will be taken care of by society anyway, either because I'm rich or because I deserve it. And I, I just I don't I, this cannot continue. I have like a serious point, which was that like I think for like the most part, like Riley is right. I think that like this is a mixture of um, just like the kind of bizarre cultural like years of the like the beginning of austerity in the coalition government. But I also think that like this is also the kind of like notion of spite and this weird dichot- like this weird kind of. I don't even know, know if dialectic is the right word, but this sort of resentment over people who work low paid, like caring roles, but also this kind of sense of helpless, or this kind of like identity crisis that comes with working what you know is like a bullshit job and then having this crisis about like, am I actually providing something useful to society? And when you sort of realize that you don't, like all that, all that kind of conjures up is like this bizarre rage and like, where else do you kind of put that rage? So it becomes this like this weird self-defeating cycle mm. well like self-defeating might not be the right word but it becomes this like weird cynical cycle where you resent the people that you sort of want to be but in order to kind of like justify your relatively comfortable existence you basically have to convince yourself that your bullshit job is actually worth a lot more than like the job of a carer or a cleaner or someone who works in a, like a supermarket or something like that mm. yeah or you just veer in the opposite direction and you do the other thing that, like, you, you you valorize the troops and you put on a big Lancaster bomber outfit because that's another thing you didn't do, but you, you want to identify with that as opposed to, like, be spiteful against It's like this blanket thing of, like, well, whatever you do in your life, you're never going to be, you're never going to have, like, the same amount of, um, your, your job is never going to be a soldier's job, so it's basically useless anyway, regardless of what you do. Uh, they should draft mm-hmm. the troops into Y passes in the old folks. Yeah. <laughs> that, would be, that would be a fun Just time. Tacti- right? Tactically interdicting some shit out of an old so, person's ass. I, I want to do a little bit by way by way of summing up here, right? Um, if because oh, all the things we were talking about, every single one of these tendencies making it impossible for care workers and to work and impossible for the cared for to live a life of dignity are increasingly impossible. Those are all factors that were present before coronavirus hit. So I can only imagine that they've all gotten worse. Uh, um, yes. Yeah. 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 So what I want to think about, right, and I don't, I don't have an answer for this. I'm hoping, uh, Chris and Pope, you might know something. If there are people listening to this who want to help, what can they do? Um, well, I th- I, yeah, I, I think that 
people need to. I, I, I am noticing a bit in this kind of post-lapse area moment where people are exhibiting public-minded prudence, and we're sort of witnessing the restoration of civic participation uh, uh, on, uh, on on some scale. I'm hope I hope we are because the people are talking about. Uh, uh, sloughing off a strata of society, be it the elderly or the vulnerable, as if it's just like a bureaucratic management of budgets. The people who usually clap along to that, I'm seeing a little bit more pushback, so that's good. Um, And uh, not assuming that life uh, as someone with neurodegenerative disease or, or, or someone who has a form of dementia, not assuming that they are half dead already. and realizing that they are in an an altered state but they still have a lot of vitality and they still have uh, a lot of uh, stuff to give and they're not expendable you know they they they're not people who might as well be you know better off dead mm. um because they, which is a, you know a common thing even for family members who ha- who have relatives with dementia uh, yeah, and that's why I mean that's what I'm hoping to do in the, if, if we're writing this book is I really want to have a complete overhaul on the way people think about dementia. So just go go in. You can volunteer in anywhere in any care home. The people would be glad of the uh, glad of the help. Just go in, like maybe if you have a, a couple of spare hours, and you know once once uh, coronavirus has passed, maybe just try and do a bit of that every now and again. Just Go into a care home, help out for a couple of hours, because and sit and, and yeah. As, as sorry, far as I, as far on. as I can tell, right, this is a situation where going in and volunteering, at least in the short term, would not be scabbing because there is a staffing crisis that is causing the workers, the workers themselves, problems. Yeah, w- yeah. W- I don't think any of us would consider a volunteer a scab. They have a kind of different remit anyway. But also, like, part of the way you keep these places sta- uh, staffed is through a kind of an emotional manipulation where, uh, you know, you take these people who are compassionate and they care and they care about their work and you get them to work those extra shifts. You get them to give up their family time. You get them to kind of put their own lives on hold so they can help other people. So. Yeah, volunteering can do some relief for some of those people. Um, for me, though, there's such structural systemic problems that I hesitate to uh, do any sort of solution that doesn't involve. Yes, that doesn't involve. That is legal to say on a podcast. <laughs> but I would say that just when you see vulnerable people, like just treat them with the same kind of dignity that other people get. Um, A lot of times the young people I work with, maybe they don't have the best clothes or maybe they kind of uh, have behavior that seems unusual. And I've seen people just treat them like scum and it doesn't help them to, you know, learn how to be independent and learn how to move in a society that already hates them. All it does is get them to double down on whatever survival mechanisms they've already learned. And, those aren't always healthy, but you know, if you go someplace and people just treat you like shit, you're not going to want to uh, behave in a way that uh, those people are going to pat you on the head and accept you. You're going to be angry. And indeed, Toby Young is proof of that fact. <laughs> <laughs> yes, spite spite works both ways, right? So, uh, so uh, mindful mindful of time. Uh, I think I'm going to say to both Chris and Pope, th- a big thank you uh, for uh, coming on to the show today and for, uh, I mean, this sounds cheesy as shit, but for c- continuing to do uh, what it is that you do. N- no. Yeah, that's, would you like a clap? Absolutely fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a tenor instead, mate, if you'll just uh, pass around the bucket. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually got a saucepan yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of clapping, uh, tr- think about how you can, you know, do something, do something material, um, and yeah. Or I have, I have the gamer air horns. I can give you a, like a, a gamer fanfare yeah, as yeah, way that, of that's thanks. That's what we have. <laughs> twenty-one, a twenty-one air horn salute. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Um, Trash Future presents a twenty-one air horn salute to the care to the oh, to the middle management of the care industry. 
having, we're having a, a, mo- a monster truck yeah. derby to raise money for the care homes. <laughs> Not to raise money for the care homes, to raise money to replace the lost dividends of investors in private care home companies. Mm. Yeah, it's it's like to get to give Chris and Pope's line managers nicer <laughs> yeah, right. chairs. Yeah. And forcing the people with dementia to ride the mo- monster truck. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. That's what we're doing. <laughs> so awesome. uh, thank you both. Every time they see the Truckosaurus, a new gasp, just as surprised as the first. <laughs> we'll sell you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. <laughs> so, uh, thank you both again. Um, Pope, I know you've got a book coming out. Does it have a name, a release date? Uh, it's, all, it's just, I've just got commissioned to write the proposal. It hasn't been optioned yet. Okay. It's just in the early sort of inchoate stages. But uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a comedian, Pope Lonergan. You can follow me on Twitter at The Daily Bumbler. And I'm doing, at the moment, I'm doing a lot of stuff with uh, Next Up and their streaming service and uh, doing a lot of different bits online so you can keep abreast of that on uh, on my twitter page uh, and chris do you have do you mm. have any anything to plug or would you just like to use this uh this time to like tell alice to do the dishes <laughs> on her own podcast or something um, i do i'm a science fiction and fantasy writer you can read my work at uncanny magazine or strange horizons magazine for free online or you can purchase uh one of my stories at fire magazine um and i will have more upcoming publications Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Seraph76. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so I think with that, we just have to say, uh, number one, we have a Patreon, five bucks a month. You get a second episode every Thursday. Um, we also have our Twitch schedule. That is Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Uh, British time. Uh, and we're going to be doing the inaugural St. Brendan's Day debate on May 18th, where seven Brendan O'Neills will square off against their hated enemy, one another. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. It's a compound uh, plural. So it's Brendan's O'Neill. Anyway, uh, I think that is uh, enough for today, except for me to say our theme oh, song shirts. is... Buy it, buy yeah, I never remember the shirts. Yeah, I never remember the shirts. So now that's enough for today. Bye, shirt. Yeah, but but uh, our theme our theme song is "Buy a Shirt" by Ginseng. Our theme, our theme song is "Buy a Shirt" by Ginseng. You can listen to it on Spotify. If you can't find it there, try "Here We Go." It's alternate title. Um, and other than that, I think it's time to say, "See you later." Yeah.